So today I want to continue um, my sermon series on some good news, all right? So open up your Bibles to Romans 7, Romans, Romans 7, 14 in there to Romans 8. That's where we're going to be. It is hard to preach Romans in my mind because in my mind it is so connected and so logical and sequential that to try and preach Romans 8, 1, you have to go back chapters to be able to lead up all that God was doing and all that Paul was teaching to be able to say, this is why Paul says what he says in Romans 8, 1. But I'm not going to do that to you today. We're only going to start in chapter 7, verse 14. And so I'm going to read it. Open up to chapter 7, verse 14. But I want to read it from, I believe what I have here in my notes is the Living Bible. I'm not sure. I didn't mark that now. But you read it from your Bible. Or if you just want to listen in, please do. Because I think there's a lot of value to having it read to you in language that you're not so familiar with that you have to listen to it, all right? So that's why I do this, all right? So this is what it says. The law is good then, and the trouble is not that there is not there but with me because I'm sold into slavery as, my, as sin is my owner. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong and my bad conscience proves that I agree with the laws that I'm breaking. But I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. Verse 18, I know I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. Verse 19, and when I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do, to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, if I am doing what is I don't want to do, it is plain that there is trouble. Sin still has me in its evil grasp. Verse 21, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, But there is something else deep within me in my lower nature that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that I still have within me. In my mind, I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. So you see how it is? My new life tells me to do right, but the old nature that is still inside of me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Now, this is one spot where I like my New American Standard or where I like my old King James because that, right, that statement right there is not good enough because what he says, he goes, Oh, what a wretched man I am. There's a little bit more emotion there. I like that. It's true. But who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature Thank God it has been done by Christ Jesus who has set me free. Let me read that last verse for you from the New American Standard. Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then on the one hand I myself am I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand with my flesh the law of sin. So, in 1872, there was a hymn that was written, and I I, I probably heard Jared sing it, I don't know. 
here at Crossing. If not, we should change that. He should sing it. But, you know, it's called, I need thee every hour. And the, and the verse in the course just goes, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Oh, how I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Those words are the words of someone who is understanding what Paul is writing about in Romans 7. I need you. Not just once in a while, but I need you all the time. Every hour I need you. Like Paul says, his flesh, his ability, all the effort he can muster up falls short of being what he knows he should be. All that the law demands. And that Old Testament law was a weight. It was an impossible burden that could never be lifted by any man, woman, or child. It was intended to be a tutor. It was intended to be an instructor that taught man that in and of himself, he could never be righteous enough. He could never do it on his own power. They could not keep all the laws. They could not go throughout the day without violating some jot or tittle of the law. And so, in other words, that law was to keep them clean. It was supposed to make them righteous, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't attain it. It was not possible. And so in some regards, they would try and devise laws around the laws. So in other words, let's say that it was, let's say it's a bad thing to live on the edge of a cliff because you could step off of it, fall, and in our context, you could sin. And so instead of living on the edge of the cliff, they would make a law and says, you should never live but 10 feet away from a cliff. It's against the law. That's not what the law said, but they would devise ways to try and protect them from breaking the law. But they would break both sets of laws. They were never able to do that. We are never able to do that. And that's what the law is for. To demonstrate that in our own power, we can't do this and we need help. We need Jesus. The law proved that man was never good enough. And so here is Paul speaking of that failure. He's not an Old Testament Jew here speaking. He's a New Testament Christian speaking saying that he can't do what is right and that he continues to do what is wrong. And so I have to ask you, can you relate to that? Can you understand every morning waking up and saying, today I'm not going to do that thing I always do. I am not going to do it. I am not going to do it. Darn, I just did it. Is that not your experience? It's mine. And that's what he's writing about. There are times when we have victory over sin. There are even times when we grow in sin. One of my favorite analogies about sin is from Gordon MacDonald in his book, Restoring Your Spiritual Passion. And he writes about they bought a new home and they were preparing the front yard for grass seed. And they were, rock, they were raking, clearing out all the rocks and the stones from the yard so that they could plant the seed. And so he's raking in what appears to be a small stone, and he begins to rake that stone to try and pull it out of the yard. And what he finds is, is it's not a small stone. All he's looking at is the head, the top of a large boulder. And that's the way sin is in our lives. We can have victory over some sins, but there are some sins in our lives that are boulders in our life. And it will take years. It might take a lifetime for some of our sin to ever yield to the Lord. And we will find ourselves 
always, always, it's an unfortunate truth, always struggling with sin. And that is the nature of it. There are those instances when, you know, you know you should not have yelled at your wife. You know you should not have yelled at the kids. You know you shouldn't yell at the car in front of you. You know you shouldn't yell at the TV. All right, it's okay to yell at the TV when it's the news, all right? Wait, it's, wait a minute. It's also okay to yell at the TV when it's the Phillies and they're down by five and they, they just do things. I mean, it's okay to yell at the TV at those times, all right? But see, I bet that Paul was probably watching the Phillies when he wrote this chapter, you know? So it's, all right, it's really not okay to yell at the TV, but you get what I mean. It's hard not to when you're watching them blow a lead. Again, is it not? So you can understand the struggle. And, and it's not an issue of desire, is it? We all want to do the right thing. We all want to to have victory over sin. We all want to do what is right. And, and, it's, not an, and it's not an issue of, of knowledge, is it? We know what is right, don't we? So if it's not an issue of desire, if it's not an issue of knowledge, then it's an issue of ability, isn't it? So let's say that I, me, who I am, like I am, want to be a competitive pole vaulter. You can imagine the problem with this already. And so, you know, I get my pole, and I go running as hard and as fast, which is not very fast. I go running as hard as I can down that track. I plunge my pole into that little place in the ground, and I begin to soar to go over that horizontal bar. Well, my desire is there, my knowledge is there, but my ability keeps me from floating effortlessly over that horizontal bar. I can't do that. And yet, what God does is that he says, you know what's right and wrong. You desire to do what's right. And you will never, ever float over that bar. You will always Knock it off the rails. You will always fall short. So, I've provided Jesus to sail over that bar effortlessly. He will be able to do it. It will cost him his life. It will cost him his blood. But he will do it. And so I'm sending him to do that for you because you can't do it for yourself. And so that's what he's done. That's exactly what he's done. He has provided a substitute for us. And he has provided a situation where we will never have to be accused again. Listen to what he says in Romans 8.1. He says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What he's saying here is this. He's saying like, 
I sent my son so that you, you will struggle with your sin, but that struggle with your sin will never keep you from being declared righteous because when you placed your faith in Christ, when Janice came to that day, that time, when she said, I understand this, I want Jesus for myself, she went from being held guilty for never being able to meet the standard to being held faultless in it because the blood of Christ covered her sin, covered her inability and gave and before God, he said, this one is righteous. This one has the blood of my son on her. And therefore, she, I see her as sinless. I see her as righteous. She knows that she's never going to meet that standard in this life. And yet the Lord sees her as righteous. No one will ever be able to, to bring condemnation on Janice. Flip over in, eight, in chapter 8 to verse eight thirty one. I'm sorry, verse 32. Uh, verse 33, there we go. Um, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. And who is at the right hand of the Father, of God, who intercedes for us? He's saying here is like, who is going to come to God and say, you know what, look at her. Look at all the things she does. Every day she works so hard and she just can't do it. You know, she is one that you should strike from your list. She isn't good enough. And the Lord says here through his apostle Paul, no one can condemn her and no one can bring a charge against her. And then even that, because, because, why? Because Jesus Christ died and was raised and is seated at the right hand of God, and now he intercedes for Janus and says, the accuser has no voice here. She is one of yours, Father. She's got the blood, my blood smeared all over her. No one can bring an accusation against her. And so before the Father... Janice is faultless. Before the Father, Jeremy is faultless. Megan, Jared, Matt, Nathan, all are faultless before the Father because of the work of Christ. And so we, though, we often need help ourselves to remember that because we listen. We listen to the things that our mind and our heart and the accuser brings to us and says, you know, God would never use you. God would never want to use you in this way. Look at who you are. Every day, look at what you do. You're so miserable. Every day you try so hard and look what you do every day. You're a failure. Step away. Get out of the way. There's others who can do this. And the Lord says that is not true because no one can bring an accusation to me about you and no one should be able to bring an accusation to you about you. For the Father's opinion, his verdict, his righteousness about you, the way he feels about you is the final word. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what the accuser, our enemy, says. 
You are righteous before the Lord. That's what matters. He is the final judge. Who is it that condemns? It's, it's the Lord. And so how can we, why should we listen to the accusations of anyone else? That doesn't make us better. That right there should make us more humble. To realize that what Christ has done in our lives on our behalf, it, it should make us realize how powerless we are and how needy we are for Christ's righteousness, for his blood, for his sacrifice for us. It should make us really, really realize how much we need him and how much he's done for us and the great lengths he's gone to to adopt us, to forgive us, to empower us. You know, we're talking about the struggle with sin, and yet he's placed his Holy Spirit inside of us so that all those little rocks in the yard that we want to rake away, he helps us rake away so many. And then with those big ones that are left there, he comes and comforts us. And he goes, you know what? I know you're struggling with this. I know you're struggling with this, but I'm leaving this here with, with you. I'm leaving this here so you'll realize you still need me. I'm leaving this here so me and you will still work on it. It's going to be a while. Relax. Depend on me. Seek me. And we're going to work on this. We're going to work on this. In all those failures, we are never left alone. We are always have the comforter who's been given to us to do that, to comfort us, to walk with us in all those struggles in each and every one. So Christian, let's be encouraged to know that by faith, each and every day, that God is at work in our lives. There are many, many days when we will say, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. But by faith, believe that he is. And I can tell you that I have had seasons of my life of my own personal growth that when I really, really clung to that truth, that he was at work even when I didn't feel it or think about it or didn't see it, that those were days of great comfort, of great confidence about my spiritual growth. Not because I could see it, but because I believed that he was interceding for me, that I believed that his spirit had been placed in me and was at work inside of me. And so that's what we need to believe. And think of the, the confidence. Think of the, the freedom that we can have when we are not being bound by heavy chains of condemnation, by heavy chains of, re of regret. We can understand that we fail, but we can also understand that that failure is not held against us and that we must continue to try and strive with our sin with the help of the Holy Spirit and grow in those areas. Now, 
You know what? I'm hoping that there's someone out there right now who's online who's watching this and is trying to figure out how this applies to them because this applies to every single person watching, but some of us have not entered into that faith decision, that, that belief decision to come into that place where they can find themselves to be proclaimed clean, to be in a relationship with the Father so that they can say that these verses are true for them as well. These verses are true for any man, woman, or child who's come to an understanding that they cannot fix their sin on their own and that they need help to do so. And so if you are out there and you are still going to confession every day or walking across glass or beating yourself or any of these, I mean, are just trying to work so hard and you're tired of it. And you're tired of it because you, you don't know when this will end and when you will ever be good enough. When you, you're tired because you don't know when you have worked hard enough. Let me tell you, you can never work hard enough to clean yourself up from your sin. But Jesus came and lived a sinless life and suffered wrongly and was persecuted and nailed to a cross and died the death he didn't have to. He died the death you and I needed to. He died that death to pay for your sin. You don't need to work. His death was the work that had to be done to make it possible for you to be able to be declared clean, righteous. His work was the work that needed to be done so that you, so it could be said of you that there is no condemnation that can be logged against you. His death is the death. His death is the work that needed to be done so that no charge could be brought against you. And so I can say with confidence that when Janice takes her last breath, she will wake up on the other side before her father with no charges brought against her and be able to walk into his arms without any hindrance. But I must say that if you've never made that decision to believe that Christ died for your sins, then when you wake up, that first sight, that first thing on the other side, you will not walk into the Father's arms because charges will be brought against you that you've not been able to be cleared of. Today, believe in Christ and the payment he made for your sins so that you can be found righteous as well. It's as simple as talking to him in your own words. And do that today. Don't wait. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for us, all right? And then we'll go wrap up our morning. Father, this morning I pray that if there's anyone who's listening to this, who has never believed in you as their personal Savior and never believed in your death as the death that they needed to die, but, that de- but his death was on their behalf, I'm praying that if there's anyone out there who's never made that decision, that today they will believe in Jesus as their personal Savior. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us as, as Christians that we would understand our, our place in Christ, that we are righteous and that our struggle with sin is one that you're well aware of. 
and that you do not condemn us and that you do not hold against us all of our wrongs and all of our failures. And may that give us a freedom. May that give us a joy. And may it humble us. And may it drive us to depending upon the Holy Spirit for the power we need to live our lives. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.